Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Hoops Island podcast. I am your host, Alex Kungu, and I'm ready to dive into the NBA trade deadline. Let's get it. All right. So on this episode, I kind of wanted to focus on big deals. Um, There were a lot of kind of like minor deals and things of that nature, but I didn't really want to focus on, you know, like 2021 Clippers swap rights or 2023 Houston picks. So this episode is going to mostly be like the deals that I saw as needle movers for the teams and the league as a whole. So I think the first one, I think the first deal I want to start with was the Andre Drummond deal. So for those of you who did not see it or um, didn't get the full details, Andre Drummond was traded for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and some second round draft picks. Andre Drummond. Uh, <laughs> that was that was shocking to me because you look at a guy like Andre Drummond, who obviously the Pistons did not either want to compete in free agency with or wanted to pay anymore. Um, it's weird because there's been a lot of talk on the Drummond. He had believers in the league. He had people who believe that he was still young. Um, he could still be a guy that could eventually turn into one of these upper echelon bigs and kind of like to see him be traded for nothing but like a salary dump. Um, it's kind of alarming if I'm a big in this league because it seems that more and more teams are starting to side with the premise that if you're not an elite big in this league, the drop-off between guy ranked 18 versus guy ranked 78 is not very large. So in this context, I wonder how many teams literally tell themselves, what is the biggest difference between someone like Andre Drummond and, say, Aaron Baines in terms of adding to winning because you can look at the raw numbers and you see Andre Drummond dwarfs him and points rebounds and stuff like that. But in terms of like the things that lead to winning games, playing defense, um, being a, being a legit rim deterrent, not chasing blocks and making sure you're boxing out every play, actually setting good screens and and helping your guard get separation. um, Those like those type of things that actually like help your team overall win because very few teams play through their bigs anyway. So if you're not going to be a guy that's willing to do those things and you just want to go get your numbers, you can do that. But I think more and more teams are realizing, okay, these rogue type of bigs are better for us because we all have wings and we all run things through our guards or our wings anyway. So if you're not a guy who can kind of like come in and do the dirty work or you're not a superstar, your value is limited. And the fact that I think the reason the Pistons had to end up doing a deal like this is because of Drummond's contract, which was so large that even if a team like, say, the Celtics wanted him, they don't want him enough to trade guys like Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward at all. No, of course not. Um, I think the side of his deal just made it so that teams would want to add him, just had no interest in parting with the assets needed to make salaries work. And what Detroit fan at the end of the day is they didn't have any interest in paying him long term either. They didn't see him as that type of guy because they have him right now. He's playing right now and they're, he's not adding to winning. The value is not there. So I think ultimately what they decided is cutting our costs now, not even dealing with that over the summer, 
and just kind of moving on is the best play for them. And, you know, they might end up being right, but if I'm a big in this league, I'm like, wow, um, we're being treated like running backs now in the NFL. And for me, if you're a young big coming up, that means, you know, you have to really, really focus on doing the thing, like doing like the little things that you don't think matter, actually connecting with bodies when you set screens, being able to kind of create plays from the elbows in terms of like making passes, being a guy who can work up dribble handoffs, being a guy who can pick, pick and pop, uh, being a guy who's good positionally in defense. It's, it's actually less important to be a shot blocker as it is to be in position consistently to rim deter. And those little things are what's going to end up mattering more as we go on than the ability to score and get high blocks and catch a lot of uncontested rebounds. So yeah, that was a big, that was a big, big shock. And I'm sure a lot of Piston fans are sitting there asking, dang, not I we got less, we got less than the Timberwolves got for Andrew Wiggins. That's crazy. And yeah, it is. It is. Um, so speaking of Wiggins, in our next segment, we're going to get into the D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins trade. All right. So after trying and trying and trying to get D'Angelo Russell, the Minnesota Timberwolves were finally able to complete it. Uh, they sent over Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 top three protected pick, a 2021 round pick, and were able to take on D'Angelo Russell along with Omari Spellman and Jacob Evans um, to get their guy D'Angelo Wiggins. <laughs> D'Angelo Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell, rather. And the uh, Warriors were, you know, they brought in, they brought in Andrew Wiggins al- al- along with the picks. So there's a couple of levels with this deal that I think are worth mentioning. One, there's the player to player thing. The war, the Warriors got a guy, Andrew Wiggins, who probably projects to be a better fit alongside their core of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. Uh, he kind of slides in as a wing. Um, he has scoring potential. He worked really. He's been working really hard this year to start eliminating some of those long twos from his game, and has been taking more threes and doing more at the basket. Um, he had a recent dip in efficiency, and you know, has everyone saying back to normal, back to his, back to that regular old Andrew. But I mean, he did. He does at the very least have you know scoring potential. Um, he has the type of athleticism that you would hope to be molded into a good defender, though you haven't kind of seen it yet. And if you're the Warriors, you say, mm, this guy's 25. He's never been in, he's never been a part of a winning culture. He's never had he's never been around vets who have won any who have won everything and put the team first. Right. So you add that up, you kind of assume that, you know, he comes with us, he sees this, he learns that. Like he learns kind of what it takes to be in a winning culture. And maybe you kind of get the best out of him. You get more, you get more of that defensive versatility we imagined. You get more of that efficient, efficient offense. You get more of that consistent intensity. 
and that's what and that's and that's what you're for. The other part of it is maybe if you get something along in the middle of that, or you just look at him, you know, you, you look at him for these next two months, and you just say, you know, this kid just doesn't have it for whatever reason. Like I've watched him, he just he's not a kid that really really wants it. You have your top five pick. You have Minnesota's 2021 top three protected that turns into a 2020 unprotected the following year. Maybe you use his contract and you go shopping. In the event of the summer, a guy like Bradley Beal suddenly becomes available. Now you have potentially your own lottery pick um, the, and the Wolves lottery pick next year, plus the Wiggins contract to make the money work. And suddenly you're in the sweepstakes there. And suddenly you turn D'Angelo Russell into Bradley Beal, right? You, which, if you go a step further, that's you turn KD's departure into being able to have the assets to that will that eventually got you Bradley Beal, the next star. So there's so there's avenues that this ends up working well for the Warriors, whether that's getting the best out of Andrew Wiggins or being able to flip him for something better that fits that fits your team. On the Wolf side, you have D'Lo now, which for one should probably alleviate some of the angst and tension that existed between the organization and Carl Anthony Towns. Obviously, he's frustrated. He was frustrated with all the losing. Um, he's frustrated that he didn't make the All Star game. He's frustrated that his stock around the league is kind of being diminished and his flaws are being talked about more than what he can do well. And now he just feels like he has no help. And now suddenly you kind of bring in one of his best friends who, at least on the offensive end, it's a really good fit for him. Um, I talked I talked about this a little bit on the live stream, but between D'Angelo Russell's ability to pull up from pretty much anywhere like 28 feet in and Towns' ability to either pick and pop like, like D'Angelo Russell or roll hard and kind of use his size, they can, have, they can do anything, anything that exists out of the pick and roll action they have the ability to do offensively. And that's pretty scary. Um, that that on itself, you could build a pretty strong offense around. And, I'm, and I think this the, the rest of this year is going to be about building that chemistry, building that camaraderie around them. And then you kind of go in to the offseason. You tinker around with your lineups of what you can. You start fitting pieces around them, which in my opinion is going to end up being things like defensive bigs, you know, like like wing defenders who can who can shoot from the perimeter and things like that. And then you go into next year and you just kind of like really, really just kind of build like around these guys now because they're both young. You have them on the contract for multiple years and you could afford now to kind of like take your time a bit and getting the best out of them. So I think just from a player, a player connection and the type of duo synergy that D'Lo and Cat could have on the offensive end, I think it was a worthy gamble. I also think just in terms of just trying to make your franchise player happy, you know, just that on a basic level, I think was important for them as well. They can kind of quell some of these trade rumors and teams sniffing around and seeing what's up. They can they can kind of put that to bed a little bit and just kind of, you know, kind of kind of have a, have have a young deal that can maybe get this Minnesota fan base excited again. All right, so when we come back, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers trade and Philly's last-ditch attempt to 
kind of reclaim their season. So the next two moves come from the Clippers and the Sixers. I wanted to touch on the Sixers move first. So on Wednesday night, the Sixers attained Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III from the Warriors for nothing but second-round picks. Um, that that they then had to waive slash get rid of two spots. So they waived Trey Burke and they sent James Ennis to the Magic for a second-round pick. So all in all, um, the Sixers who are looking who are looking for wings who can kind of like play make slash stretch the floor. Um, got two who have been doing that pretty well for the Warriors. Alec Burks was actually like their leading scorer, averaging around like 16. Um, Glenn Robinson, uh, three and D guy, averaging shooting like 40% from three. Burks was 37. I like Burks. He's got he's the kind of guy who, who can kind of create for himself or his teammates, can get to the line, which he does pretty well. Um, this is one of his few years where he has not been affected by injuries and it's and he's just been looking really good on the offensive end. So theoretically, the Sixers were able to address a need that they had in terms of playmaking and uh and shot create and shot creating and making ability. Um, the questions I have about this deal were fit. You know, right now the Sixers are going through their own problems with fit themselves. Uh, there's they they basically employ three guys: Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Joel Embiid, who are kind of best utilized as bigs, and they play them all together in the court. Um, so they've had their struggles, especially now without Josh Richardson kind of there to kind of be that like spacer slash guard type of guy. They've they've had issues. They've had issues trying to uh, create offense on a consistent basis. So you would hope that Burks and Glenn Armstrong can do that. What I'm worried about with them, and maybe this becomes an unfounded thing and ends up being whatever, is how they react to smaller roles. Because both of them are playing like 30, around 30, a little bit over 30 minutes a game. They're both getting over 10 shots a night, right? So you cut that, you start cutting that, you know, to 10, not 10, you cut it to like 20, 18 minutes a game and you cut 12 shots to seven, six shots. Are you coming with the same efficiency? Are you bringing the same value? So if you got for Alex Burks, who I would probably consider below average defender, if you're not bringing that kind of like same consistency and value on the offensive end, does it get to a point where your defense has to be starts to become more of a problem, then your offense can overlap. And does uh, Glenn Robinson III still still hit efficiently if he's not getting the same amount of touches and looks that he was getting in Golden State, right? So so that's going to be the question for them. Um, but I still think it was a good move. It didn't cost you really anything. It cost you two rotation guys that were not having good years for you anyway and some second-round picks. Right now, you're a team that considers themselves a contender. You're trying to win right now, so these are the type of moves you make. So from that kind of framework process, I agreed with it. Um, now, now it's just going to come down to, can they fit or will they not, right? Um, across the country in Los Angeles, they were finally able to get their man in Marcus Morris. They sent Mo Harkless in their 2020 um, pick to the Knicks. I also think they sent 
they gave the Knicks swap rights, which I don't know why the Knicks would care about swap rights for 2021, considering, you know, the Clippers are probably going to be way better than them for the next at least four to five years. So getting a pick swap is kind of like not getting anything at all. But, you know, that's besides the point. Um, Mo Harkless to the Knicks. Jerome Robinson to the Wizards. Marcus Morris to the Clippers. Marcus Morris was joined by Isaiah Thomas, but the reports are out that he's most likely going to be waived, so he'll be on the market. Uh, the, the, the Overall, I think this was a pretty good, pretty good decision by the Clippers. They're in the same boat as the Lakers. I mean, I'm sorry, the Sixers and the Lakers, since we're on that, um, in terms of their goal is to win a championship right now. That's that's it. And if a guy makes your team 10% better, that's a 10% higher chance of, or gives you like a 2% higher chance of making it, winning, you do it, right? And Marcus Morris, you know, for all kind of like his play-creating flaws and all that, he is a guy who legitimately can hit three-pointers at a high rate. Um, he can defend and has had success defending guys like LeBron James. He's a guy that can play the four and kind of bang down low. He's not afraid to do that. He does freelance a little bit, and that could be a problem for the for the Clippers. There's times where he can kind of just hijack a possession from time to time if he believes that there's a mismatch, and a lot of those beliefs are sometimes unfounded. But I mean, overall, if they can rail that in, because this is a championship team, he's coming into a team with a clear pecking order and guys that all understand their roles. If he's able to rail that in and you just get the best of it, the truth is he's actually an above average 3 and D guy. And if you could just get that out of him and completely limit all the other things, I think that's a good haul. It is. Uh, for the Wizards, getting Jordan Robinson, who was a, who was a former lottery pick, BC guy, the guy who was supposed to shoot. Um, he got praised a lot for kind of like his IQ. There's a little bit of like passing ability that was there, but he just hasn't been able to find his ground in uh, the Clippers. So I'm hoping that we go in a Wizards system where they pay, where they play high paced basketball. Uh, they shoot a lot of threes, kind of like in his wheelhouse. Maybe he can find some comfortability in the NBA there, kind of find some solid footing. And then, you know, New York, I don't know why they want to keep Mo Harkless at all. Um, the reports, the early reports are that they're not buying him out, which, I mean, okay. But if I was them, I would definitely be looking to buy him out and just kind of just clear out the room and clear it out and just kind of give all the ministerial kids. Like, what else are you playing for? Mo Harkless is expiring about this deal anyway. You're not going to resign him. Just, you know, just buy him out. I think that I also think that they'll reconsider that. But for now, you know, they have more Harkless. They have picks. They did get themselves another pick, which it'd be a low one. But for a team like that, pick a t- pick slash acid accumulation is smart. So all in all, good deal for the Clippers. Interesting gamble for the Wizards. And, you know, good, good asset accumulation from the Knicks. On our next segment, we're going to get into Miami, the Miami Heat's big deal, and then kind of briefly touch on the developing buyout market.
So the last deal I wanted to talk about was that big Miami Heat trade that looked like it was going to get bigger on Wednesday night. So started just off with, you know, Miami Heat and the Memphis agreed to deal for Iggy. Um, and then later we learned that Winslow was going to be involved in the deal. So what basically ended up happening is as the night kind of developed, we learned then, okay, Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder were also going to go to Miami. And then there was talk that a third team, which ended up finding out was, was the OKC Thunder, were going to be in the deal. And Pat Rowley and the Miami Heat were going to actually try to make it a three-team deal in which they would get Andre Gadala and Danilo Gallinari along with and possibly would have ended up having to send maybe one or two Crowder and Solomon Hill. I don't I don't know how all of these are gonna work, but basically Iggy and Gallinari were supposed to be coming to Miami, right? That was that was what the understanding was. There the, the only hiccup was working on an extension with Gallinari. And remember the Heat are a team that's gonna have cap space in 2021, which is when Giannis is going to be a free agent. They want to preserve that. Uh, so when they made the trade of Igudala, they gave him an extra year just for the 2020 season so that that way they still preserved their 2021 space. And Gallinari was an expiring as well. So they also wanted to get into a similar deal with Gallinari where they gave him maybe like an, an extra year on his deal so that that way he, he would, they would not be hampered by them in the 2021 free agency. From there, um, as today leaked in, it ended up ultimately becoming that the Heat and Gallinari really couldn't agree to a contract extension. So they just did the deal as is with Miami and Memphis. So ultimately that ended up being Andre Vidala, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill to the Miami Heat. And in return, Miami sent Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson. James Johnson was eventually routed to Minnesota uh, for Gorgui Zhang. I think the deal was one of those deals where you guys kind of look at it and you're like, well, all right, okay. So when you start from Miami's perspective, obviously everyone's going to make a big deal because of the name recognition of Andre Gudala, um, the name recognition that came with Jay Crowder now, and then now you have Solomon Hill. Everyone's like, oh, they have all this defense now and shooting and da-da-da-da. But they still kind of face similar problems, right? The Miami Heat this year have been they've, – they've squeaked by a lot of teams. Um, I think they're overperforming from who they are right now, and I think they know that, which is why they're so aggressive at the deadline. And – they can't really. They couldn't really defend, and that's a lot of the, their interesting zone stuff that they were doing was interesting, but it was also kind of like an admission of like we can't really defend with lineups that can score. So now you bring in guys like Iggy and Crowder, who have historically been not great shooters at all, streaky, the best way to describe them, and then you get you bring in a guy who Solomon Hill is maybe like the like the one competent guy, right? Um, and you're still kind of facing the same problems, right? Your best defenders can't shoot and your best shooters can't defend. 
And granted, now these guys, you know, they give you more versatility on the defensive end. So maybe now you don't have to rely on zone as much. You mix in, you you can maybe mix them in a little bit more and hopefully be able to try to create lineups that have a better balance. But you also have to remember Jimmy Butler himself has been struggling to shoot from three. So the shooting is still going to be an issue for them. Um, I think what they did was kind of lean into who they are and kind of like their beliefs as a the heat culture, quote unquote. And they became very they became a tougher team. Um to be a little bit more dog bites with them. But ultimately, in terms of like leveling up, I don't think they did that. On on the grizzly side of things, uh there was a little bit of talk about like the like the the assets that assets that they took back. Uh, Justice Winslow, you know, he still has a good rep as like a young player. Um, he was doing so, he was doing a lot of playmaking. Um, he was a guy who was, who was learning how to score, but he does have an injury history. Um, he's missed like over a hundred games the past two years. There was obviously concerns with that. His contract is almost up, so there was a lot of talk of like, well, why would you take on Waiters and Johnson just to get to him? Well, the Grizzlies immediately flipped Johnson into Gorgui Zhang with the floor spacing five. And you, now you look at it, it's like, okay, so you get yourself a floor, a floor spacing five. Um, and you have Deion Waiters, who, if he can just get out of his own way, can be a really good shooter, can be a really good spark plug guy off the bench. He's a big, strong guy that can defend when he needs to. And just one of those like irrational confidence guys that make teams fun. Uh, I think he could do that in Memphis, where he's where he's not around all of Miami's um, vices. <laughs> Best way to describe it. And then you got, and then you have Winslow, which is like another guy who can like another guy you add to the young core. Um, you can grow with with these guys, and you see what happens. Right now, you're a playoff team. You got yourself a young piece. You got yourself guys that could also help you contribute to winning. And you just rock out and see what's going on. So it could go well. It could also be one of those situations where waiters doesn't work out for them. Winslow was still kind of eh with the with his injuries, and ultimately just ends up being a not so great deal. But I'm interested. I'm interested. I think both teams have beliefs in what they can do with the assets that they attained, and we'll see if which one of them was right, or maybe they, they were both right. All right, so now that we kind of got done all the main trade talk stuff, I did want to briefly talk about the buyout market. So now that now that the trade deadline is done, there's a little bit of you know malaise. A lot of a lot of the top East teams didn't really make moves. Actually, not some of the. Only I think only the Heat. The, the Bucks didn't make a move. Raptors didn't make a move. Celtics didn't make a move. Heat made the moves. Pacers didn't make a move. And I, I and I bet they'd say Victor Oladipo was their midseason acquisition. And then okay, so it was the Heat and the Sixers that made moves. And everyone else kind of stood pat. So with that, but there are little tweaks and stuff like that that all that all these teams can maybe add and in that I would I would also even add in like the Lakers to that as well. So the bio market's gonna be kind of interesting. Um the big name 
after the Drummond deal that people initially started talking about was was uh, was uh, Tristan Thompson. Uh, Thompson an expiring deal this week. There was a report that came out from Joe Varn of the Athletic how uh, basically Thompson and his camp decided you know it's gonna, this rebuild in Cleveland is going to take too long. I am not interested in being here for this for this long run. I don't want to resign here and be here long term. Get me out of here, basically. And uh, it was one he wanted a trade for bird rights. And I'm not a cap guru, but the best way to describe bird rights is if you have a guy's bird rights, you're allowed to go over the cap to sign him. Basically, it was a way to help teams retain their players. If he got bought out, he would no longer have his bread rights, which means that you can't go over the cap to sign him, which means that if you're a team like the Celtics, who had no uh, cap space, if you got Tristan Thompson on a buyout, at the end of this year, the best you could offer him is like a, like a mid-level exception, right? So Tristan Thompson is still in his prime. He's, he wants money. He doesn't necessarily – he's not necessarily interested in, you know, like being on like $5 million deals. So he wanted to get traded. That way, he get he get traded to a t- team, and then in the summer they could work on getting him an extended deal, even if they were like an over the cap team. That did not happen. So now people are wondering: Okay, um, they just signed you. You didn't get traded, and they and your team just signed Andre Drummond. So chances are you're not going to be starting anymore at all. So are you getting a buyout? So there was a lot of like when when Horace was on the jump, um, saying, "Hey, you know, like there'll be a buyout." There's potential now to be a buyout here. Um, you know, it was interesting. David Aldridge kind of conflicted that, saying that there is no buyout plan yet. So I think right now this is just a matter of, like, the, the two parties have to talk. That's figure something out. Um, in terms of financials and stuff like that, I think from a team perspective, and a player perspective, it might actually be more worthwhile for, for Tristan Thompson to just kind of sit on the bench or just play whatever reserve role he has the rest of this year. And at the end, kind of orchestrate a sign and trade with, with, with whatever team he wants to go to, which will allow him to, you know, basically get with and over the cap team that could, that would also be competitive. And the Cavaliers in return would probably also be able to get an asset out of that deal. So it kind of and, and knocks out two birds and one stone, and it's mutually beneficial. Now, that doesn't necessarily do much for him in the short term. So maybe that's what matters to him. And if that was what matters to him, maybe he does put his foot down and say, no, I definitely want to get bought out. I'll figure it out, right? Like, I can figure it out later. Maybe that's an option. But smart money, smart money probably says that he's staying in Cleveland and he's probably not going to get bought out at the end of the day. Um, the other name that I wanted to talk about briefly is Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams is an expiring contract now for the Charlotte Hornets, 32 year old guy, six, eight kind of big um, play. Can, can play some four, can play some five in a pinch has been shooting like 37% from three. Um, is a type of like good kind of like vet presence that, you kind of want to round out your bench. So if he gets bought out, which it hasn't, there's been no big reports as of now on whether he will be bought out or whether whether that's something he's considering. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. 
there are already reports that that the Lakers, that the Lakers are considering considering it, but a team like the Celtics could also get involved because they're a team that you could use some shooting, wanted some front court depth, and they kind of had that Kemba Walker uh, connection. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then finally, I wanted to get into okay. We'll, We'll, we'll do this first. It's worth mentioning Darren Collinson, who right now um, they're basically deciding if he decides to come back in the NBA, which he told Matt Barnes that it's a 50-50, which, he, which Matt Barnes said on the jump, that he would even come back. But if he were to choose to come back, um, the understanding is that he's picking Lakers or Clippers, and we'll see which one he ends up picking with there. And the last kind of bunch I wanted to talk about were the Detroit Pistons. They have a lot of guys on player options slash expiring deals. Uh, Marquise Morris, Tony Snell, and Langston Galloway. Um, all like all of these guys have been shooting relatively well for three, or they have career marks that suggest that they are good three point shooters. Um, they all kind of they all kind of you know figure to be bench like guys that can kind of like round out your bench, play play rotation roles and things like that. So after trading Drummond, not having Blake Griffin anymore, you have to wonder if maybe the Detroit Pistons are looking at these some of these vets and thinking, okay, um, we're not gonna re- we're probably not gonna resign these guys. Maybe let's work out with their teams and see if there's a buyout. Because I'm sure a lot of playoff teams would love to get their hands on them. But also if this doesn't end up happening, shame on the Pistons for not for whatever this trade deadline was. Um, they, they should have been able to get something for any of these two guys, even if that was like the Warriors getting like second round picks. They should have been able to contain some type of assets for them. Yeah. Um, so that is that is the uh, the pod. Went through all the trade deadline stuff. Um, I'm going to have something up on the Hoops Island site. Um, I'm going to wait for you know more information to come out things like that. I'll, I'll update the trade analysis piece, just put in all the nitty gritty and stuff like that. Some of the minor deals we didn't touch on and, you know, just kind of, just kind of round that out. So otherwise, besides for that, thanks for listening in and talk to you next week.